The CIS benchmarks are secure configuration recommendations for hardening specific technologies in an organization's environment. Each benchmark is the product of an ongoing consensus project involving the generous volunteer efforts of subject matter experts, technology vendors, public and private community members, academics, and the CIS Benchmarks development team. CIS Benchmarks are a key component of an organization's overall security against cyber attacks, and each CIS Benchmark recommendation maps to the CIS Critical Security Controls, or CIS Controls. There are more than 100 CIS benchmarks across 25 plus vendor product families available through free PDF download for non-commercial use. CIS benchmarks coverage includes security guidelines that are applicable to cloud provider platforms and cloud services, containers, databases, desktop software, server software, mobile devices, network devices, and operating systems. Learn more about CIS benchmarks by visiting C-I-S-E-C-U-R-I-T-Y dot org slash benchmarks. With your host, Chris Glandon, serving cybersecurity straight up with no chaser. Let's hit the bar and grab a drink. Oh, hey, Boozebot. You running a bar today? You know it, Chris. My ML detects you need a drink. Your ML is correct. That's why I'm here, Boozebot. And I trust that you have a drink in your database that you can pour for me. Indeed. It's called... The Storyteller. Two ounces of Catan Pisco. One ounce of Averna. Stir ingredients and strain into a rocks glass. Garnish with orange swath. If you'd like, optionally add smoked cinnamon bitters for extra flavor. Enjoy. Thanks. Aw man, I gotta run. A podcaster who has mastered the art of storytelling just walked in. I'll see you later. I'll see you next round. I'm here with Jack Resider, a linchpin in the security industry and creator slash host of the extremely successful Darknet Diaries podcast. Jack, welcome to Barcode. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely, man. So this is actually the first time that you and I have had the opportunity to converse one-on-one. So I'd like to start at the root of your legacy. Many of us know you or recognize you as the voice of Darknet Diaries, although your cybersecurity career actually spawned within a knock. So would you mind just talking us through that time and what caused you to reroute your career to security? Yeah, so I got a degree, a bachelor's degree in computer engineering, but it was very general, right? So it was like one of every technology was part of the curriculum. And I didn't feel like specialized and I had trouble finding a job out of college. 
Um, so I did odd and ends, odds and ends stuff for a while, but then uh, I was like, oh, I got to get back into tech. That's where my heart is. So I got a CCNA certification, Cisco Networking Associate, and that got me a job in a NOC, a Network Operations Center. So from there, I was watching networks up, down status, uh, troubleshooting them, and, and you know, escalating where they need to be. And um, I just kept going. I was like, well, let, let me get my CCNP, you know, the professional level cert. And so I just started testing for that. And um, I, I was like the only one in the knock that had that level cert. <laughs> so they're like, you need to get out of here. You need to go to the engineering role um, where, you know, more professionals are are doing stuff. So I was like, yeah, I'd love to. Let's go. Um, they said, well, we don't have any like you know, route switch positions open, but there is a security position open. And at the time I didn't even know like how to do some basic commands on a firewall. And so, um, I was like, Oh yeah, I want any engineer job. I don't really care what it is. So I applied and they liked me and and took me on. So from there I went crazy into security, um, just getting all my security certifications and stuff like that. But what I realized was this is where I've always meant to be because in security, you need to know a little bit about everything. You need to know a little about coding, a little about sysadmin, a little about um, networking to really understand the whole picture of why an attack happens and how to secure like systems holistically. And so having that degree really helped me just get in the game mentally and understand the whole like ecosystem of how everything works and comes together. And I just, I just soared. I just love security. And I spent 10 years as a network security engineer, um, even built out a, a SOC, a security operations center, which was an enhancement to our knock. And, um, yeah, and at some point I was like, "Oh, where are the podcasts that are that are um, really into like high drama storytelling shows that talk about hacks and cybersecurity? You know, p- stories from the trenches. That time where it's like the worst day of your life at work. Um, let's hear that story. Let's hear how you you know got through that, and or what happened when you attacked you know a, a network, whatever." Um, and so I didn't hear, I couldn't find those show that sh- those podcasts. And I really was into podcasts. I was like, oh shoot, maybe I got to try and make this myself. And that's where I got the idea of, all right, let's make Darknet Diaries. And that was so successful that I just ended up switching over to that and do that full time now. Nice. So what type of podcast were you into at that time? Were you into the tech podcast? Was it true crime podcast? You know, I'm just curious what genre had your interest at that point? Yeah, there was... um a lot of them. So I think Serial was something that really got me back into podcasts. I think before that I had tuned in a little and was just like, oh, there's a couple guys talking. I don't really uh, <laughs> care about some of this stuff, right? It was hard to find good stuff. But then when Serial showed up, I was like, oh, I, I, this is amazing. And then of course I'm like, oh yeah, of course this American Life is here and Radio Lab. I love that. And, um, you know, 99% Invisible, all these all these really popular shows, I was like, oh, wow, I can listen to these, oh, like the whole back catalog, this is great, because, you know, this used to be just on the radio, and you'd only, you know, get the last 10 minutes, and you're like, oh, I wish I was here for the whole show, so, you know, going back and being able to listen to all these was great, um, and so that's, you know, what I was into, but at the same time, I was learning as much as I could about security, right, so I was listening to Down the Security Rabbit Hole, um, Security Weekly, um, Paul's, Paul's Security Weekly, and um, Security Now, and, uh, you know, risky business, all these like news security shows and, and interviews type security shows. But 
And, and a couple of them actually did have some good stories. I remember when Paul's Security Weekly interviewed John McAfee, I was so glued to this whole story because this is a guy who's been on the run and accused of murder and all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And I'm just like, what? I'm so, I'm so glued to this story. What is happening here? This is the craziest InfoSec story ever. And so, you know, those kind of things made me think like, oh man, there is such a space here for having a really interesting um, a, a security hacker story that can just glue you the whole time and get you into it. And, uh, you know, we're in this age of like everyone knows about hackers today. You know, your barber, your dentist, it doesn't matter who's who's out there. They all are talking about hacks and security. So it seems to be something the masses could appreciate, too. Yeah. And it's ironic that you mentioned the John McAfee interview, because now you have you have um, running with the devil on Netflix. Right. Which is 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 looking through those interviews of John McAfee. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, which is insane. So, um, so yeah, as a security engineer, uh, I believe at that time you were also, you were also writing articles online, right? So do you feel like that creative outlet that you were doing then ultimately led you into the podcasting realm? Or do you feel like podcasting was something that you had already had your sight set on, um, as a listener? Yeah, I, I do think it was kind of like um, a stair a staircase, right? Yeah. So jumping into podcasts is not like your first step and just maybe online creating. So yeah, what I was doing before that was um, blogging for seven years. I was throwing out random YouTube videos like, here's how to do this. Here's how to use this tool. Here's how to, you know, sometimes I'd give a talk somewhere and a presentation maybe to my team, maybe at a conference, and then I'd record that and put it on YouTube, you know, like things like this, I was just kind of producing little bits of content out in the world. And so, you know, I'm building a brand, I'm building a name, I'm, I've got social media started, you know, I've got all this stuff that was already in gear before making the podcast. And I think it did pave the way in many ways, especially blogging and um, presenting stories, right? So, in my mind, that first episode was, this is a presentation that I'm doing, but I'm trying to make it as entertaining as possible, right? Um, and, and so that's that's kind of the basis where I started from is, I don't know how to make a documentary. I don't know how to be a journalist, right? But I do know how to present to my team at work when I have some you know, st- uh, technology I want to teach them or something I learned at a conference. So I, I, I just kind of wore that. In fact, my first episode, I made a PowerPoint presentation and you just don't see it, right? Cause it's a, it's a podcast, but I'm, I'm kind of flipping through the slides as I'm, as I'm telling the story because <laughs> that's what I knew. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think coming from like, and especially like, uh, blogging because that, that was like, um, uh, you know, me troubleshooting in, in these blog posts, right? If you get this problem, here's how to solve it kind of thing. But what that taught me was, well, we've got this really complex problem and there's this really complex solution. How do I make this as easy as possible? What are some of the complexities I can get rid of? What are, what's the base problem here, right? So I'm, I'm kind of pushing away all the other, you know, stuff that isn't really even part of this problem to be able to just explain these complex topics as simple as I can. Um, sometimes I'm explaining what a VPN is and how to um, like build it from scratch. And so what are the core parts there and how, what does this mean a hash and what does this mean encryption and, and Diffie-Hellman and all this kind of like stuff and do I need to explain it and stuff. So just kind of walking through like how to explain things to the world in a way that is just what they need and not too much or not too little. And I just think seven years of practicing that was really helpful as well. Yeah, I, I love that because in our field, it, it can get very technical and a lot of times it is hard to 
to segment that technology from communication and being able to talk through that and, and properly communicate it um, is a huge skill. Yeah, I think l- listening to podcasts kind of built helped me build the language as well. You know, I'd, I'd listen for a long time, a security podcast, and then talk to my customers and be able to use some of this flowery language, you know, of, of like adversary and the threat actor and all this kind of stuff where, yeah. uh, you know, before you didn't, you didn't maybe hear that stuff because you're not in that space. You don't have your team that's talking like that and stuff like that. So yeah, I think podcasts just really taught me a lot as well. Awesome. Now I would like to ask you about an aspect that I've noticed about you that by the way, I have the utmost respect for, which is the the anonymity aspect and um, your decision to mask your own identity. And I'm just curious, is this because you are, you know, a, a practicing privacy advocate or would you say there's a dangerous side to what you do where you feel as though you need to conceal your identity for safety concerns? Mm -hmm. So I think we're, uh, uh, you know, when I, w- when I was uh, in high school, I had bought something on eBay and the guy canceled the listing. I was like, oh, I still have the item, but can you want Western Union me the money? And I was like, oh, okay. Um, and, you know, I went back and forth. I was like, wait, this is fishy and stuff. But eventually I was convinced. And so I sent the money and never got it. And so this is kind of a life lesson of like, oh, the internet can scam you and you can like be burned. And like, so you learn like how to like step back and be like, okay, I can't trust everyone out here. And another one of these kind of life lessons was when I was, you know, before I was podcasting, I was putting these YouTube channel, YouTube videos out. And one of them was, I don't know, it was just me setting up like a solar panel or something like that. And um, the, the there was a fan who just loved it so much and loved to my delivery and what was in the background and like the scene set up and all this kind of stuff that he, he tried mess messaging me on YouTube, but I didn't respond. I didn't see it, whatever. So then he, um, he was like, okay, well, where is this filmed? Right. So there's a back, a mountaineer. And, oh, is that a street sign? Okay. So they're like finding things in the background of the video and then pinpointing like where I filmed this, which was my house. And then looking up the county records of who owned that house, finding my name and then looking up where I work and then emailing me at work. Um, uh, yeah. And I was like, wait, what, who are you? And they're like, Oh, I'm your biggest fan. I just want to say hi. And if you're ever in my neighborhood, we could hang out. And I'm just like, Whoa. And, and so I had them explain to me how they found me. And yeah, that was kind of one of these, Oh my gosh. Um, do I want this as a creator yeah. that everyone, anyone and anyone can just find where I work, find like my location, find where I live, all this kind of stuff. No, no, no. So I took that video down and I just kind of scrubbed myself from the internet and um, like really took it a lot more seriously at that point. There was a book that um, I really appreciated by Mike Bazell called Extreme Privacy, How uh, What It Takes to Disappear. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's kind of step by step. Like here's how to set up your computer, your phone, your mailing, you know, system, all this kind of stuff so that um, it is harder for people to find you online. And so, yes, I am a big privacy, exp- uh, you know, proponent and I love um, like just practicing it as well. Um, and I, I get scared when I see people oversharing online, you know, here's my, I got my first driver's license. Yay. Or look at my kids or first day of school, how excited they are. And, you know, <laughs> we're on a trip somewhere and I'm just like well you're obviously not home and someone could rob you you know like there's just so many red flags I see online on social media that um I, I'm just like okay I'm 
definitely happy I'm taking this more back. You know, you, you got to pull back from the internet. You can't overshare. You can't share what's going on in your family or where your location is or what your picture of you is and stuff like that um, to, to keep this privacy. But um, I think it's important and worth it. Yeah, that's understandable. I mean, I think as a security professional, you know, paranoia runs through my veins as well. And, and there's been many times where I'm just like, I need to go off the grid. I need to go off the grid. And then when I talk to people that I see, you know, willingly posting information, you know, it feels like it's my responsibility to, you know, say something and, and educate them. So I definitely get where you're coming from. Um, you know, the best, the best time to do it is when you're going to move and you can put like your new address and all that kind of stuff into uh, like a different identity, yeah. right? Because a lot of times when your 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 current location is s- sort of permanently burned and it's in too many databases and it's connected to your name in too many ways. So um, that I think is the best time if you ever feel like, okay, I, I really need to do it. When you're moving, like look it up. Like it, Extreme Privacy is the book that, that I recommend. Awesome. Um, so yeah, you've become, you know, exceptional at the art of storytelling. And you know, in my opinion, listening to your show, you continue to sharpen that skill, you know, with each episode that you release. And you mentioned this a little bit before with the YouTube videos that you produced and the, and the content that you've developed over time. Um, as you look back, do you feel like you've always had a natural ability for storytelling, maybe just in a different method? Or is that something that you had to research and uh, a skill that you had to develop over time to get you to the pinnacle of where you are now. Yeah, it was definitely a skill that I researched and fine-tuned. Uh, it started with me reading the book Out on the Wire. And um, this is one where they interview um, people like Ira Glass, Roman Mars, Jad Abumrad, um, storytellers um, in, the, in the podcast and radio space that are kind of kings of storytelling. Um, th- and so you hear how they break it down and you hear how they think about a story. Like for instance, they use a formula. Sometimes I think Ira Glass uses a formula. This is a story about X, but Y happens instead. And um, you start plugging in these, these pieces. And the thing is here is you want the story to go in a certain trajectory, but then it's going to take a wild turn. Right. And that's what it means. But this is a story about X. You think you're going in this direction, but Y happens instead. It takes this crazy turn. And so you have to kind of think about, okay, what direction are we going to go in to start instead of let's just go straight into the craziest part that happened. Right. And so you want kind of the, this, you know, this unexpected turn and stuff. So there's a lot of different um, formulas like that and ideas. And, and you know, the craziest thing to me is that it actually changes the chemicals of your brain um, in certain ways. Like if there's a cliffhanger um, that gives you this sense of, Oh, something, something is going to happen and I, and I've got to get tuned in. Right. And there's, and there's certain chemicals in your brain. I don't, I don't remember exactly what, maybe it's oxytocin. Um, but you know, when I, when I say a joke, then there's dopamine that comes into your brain. Right. And like, it's, it's just wild to me that I can say something on a microphone and it can trigger chemicals in your brain to be secreted and you can feel certain feelings and emotions and stuff like that. And I'm just like, this is the most amazing, powerful thing I, I know of to be able to, to give people this like, chemical cocktail to as they're listening and uh, yeah i mean let's do it let's have fun there Let, i mean this has got to be uh, a wild thing that we can do together so yeah i mean that's kind of how i approach it is like well, let's 
let's see how um let's see how glued I can get the listener. If I can make them levitate, right? They're on the edge of their seat. They, they can't wait for the next uh, moment. They're disappeared from their world, whatever it is. Like I really want them to get into it. So yeah, I've taken it seriously. And I've, I've also like, I think there's a, a Khan Academy class that partnered with Pixar called Pixar in a box. And they teach the art of storytelling and you know, how character development works and all this kind of stuff. And so I'm always just more interested in how, other shows are doing it and how, you know, some of the best storytellers in the world are doing it. And and yeah, this was something that I just dove into and spent maybe the first 20 to 40 episodes just kind of practicing and doing different things and, you know, editing different ways and moving stuff around where, okay, instead of saying that at the beginning, let's put that way at the end, let's hold off on the, you know, this, or let's put that early or, you know, the, all this kind of just mechanics of, of how it works. And um, yeah, I think it, I think it's uh, a lot of fun to do. I don't know if I came now. Maybe I come natural at it because I'm working with other people who don't quite get it. But um, it's maybe my style as well that that's how I do it. Nah, I love it, man. And and it's seeing that reaction that you bring, not only from the entertainment side, but also that high of just knowing that you are solely providing that that mental vision for people as well. So yeah, it's a theater of the mind. I call it sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I saw a tweet from you um, the other day and it, I, I think you posted, you know, your highest download episodes, right? Your, or your, the numbers, mm-hmm. your metrics there. And I think the highest downloaded episode was just over 850,000. Um, yeah. If I remember correctly, wow. man. And that's just, that's fucking incredible, man. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I can't, I can't fathom that at this point, but um, other than time itself, what do you feel has helped contribute to such a high listener count and download count? And even more importantly, you know, what do you feel is the key to continuing to scale that out? Yeah. I mean, when, when this kind of came around, I was really, you know, chomping at the bit, like I need to make something, I need to do something. Right. I've always, ever since 1999, I've been like, Oh, I need to be an online entrepreneur, right? Some sort of, Mm -hmm. let's make a website. Let's make a something as a service. Let's make something I'm ready. And like, so, you know, 20 years of just being so ready when I finally had something to like, let's go, let's market this. I had already like, you know, studied entrepreneurship and marketing and all this kind of stuff. Seth, Seth Godin is probably one of my favorite marketers. Um, Gary Vaynerchuk really kicked me in the butt to like, go, go, go. So like all this kind of stuff just kind of came like, okay, let's just, let this is ready. Like, you know, I'm 10 episodes in and I'm just like, you know, the, the audience is like, we want more. We want more. I've listened to every episode twice. Where's the next episode? Come on, give me more. And I, I kind of get that wind of, oh my gosh, this, this could be big. Um, and so I was just like, let's go, let's just throw as much fuel on this fire as I can. So that's kind of when I quit my job and I was like, all right, let's, um, let's just market this like crazy. So social media has been like just a big thing, like just being present there, being part of the community. I think being part of the community goes a long way, right? It's like, oh, you're one of us. Um, you, we're, com- we're having conversations together. You're reachable. You're, you're here. Um, you know, y- y- if you're in, if you're in a community and then someone's trying to come from the outside, like, Hey, listen to my stuff or something. You're like, I don't know who you are, but if, if somebody in your community is like, Hey, I started this thing and other people in the community are like, Oh, it's good. You should definitely listen to it. Um, then it, then it works. Yeah. Right. So you know, I was, a, I was speaking at conferences already. I had a blog already, you know, so I, I had like some sort of community involvement just in the InfoSec Twitter and on Reddit and this kind of stuff. 
so yeah, I mean, that's where I think things started mostly on Twitter. Um, just getting crazy on social media, just posting like crazy. Um, not always about podcasts, but jokes or stories or um, news articles or how to, or look at this malware that is out there. It just being part. Um, yeah, I, I, I could go on and on forever about, um, marketing, but I think the, probably the biggest thing is word of mouth, um, probably spread the, spread it the most. So getting a listener to share it with another person. And so I heard so many stories and this is what I asked at the end of uh, a lot of episodes. It's like, look, the thing that will help me the most right now is not for you to subscribe or, or spend money, send money or whatever the case is. It's just to tell one other person that they should check out this show. Text someone right now, tell your friends at work, tell your family, whatever it is, just please bring someone else here as a listener. And that's what I would ask. And you know, you put it all in that way, then they're like, okay, I think I can help Jack out. Uh, so you'd, I'd hear stories about like, you know, we went on a drive and I had my whole family listen to it on the, on the car ride, or I went to work and I, I made my whole team listen to it at work. And now we have like, you know, Tuesday or Wednesday, Tuesday afternoon, you know, listening parties or something. Cause I like to publish every other Tuesday. So yeah, I mean, that was, that was, I think spread the most is, is word of mouth. Yeah. That's, that's great advice, especially about just, you know, tell someone else, just tell one person to listen mm-hmm. to my show and, and see, and then also having that cred, you know, having that cred in the security industry, but then, then once it took off, you know, you're reaching entirely outside of the security industry. Mm-hmm. Do you get, you know, hit up often from those listeners outside of security and how you're affecting them? Yeah, definitely. And a lot of people are getting, um, into security because of it. They're like, oh, I've always liked computers and, and hacking and stuff. I just didn't know there was a whole place that I could be part of to like be part of, like do that. I'm quitting my job as a painter and I'm switching over to InfoSec. Um, but yeah, I get a lot of, um, I get a lot of like, yeah, non-security people who, who message me and say they're into it. It's really wild. Um, but I think, you know, the core audience I want to reach is that security community because I want them to have this sort of fun and to feel drawn into the story and be like, eh, I'm part of this. Like, this is my career. This is what I'm doing. And, you know, like, like you connect with them in a, in a way that's profound and, and they're going to, they're going to, yeah, they're going to take you and share your stories with their family. And now, you know, you know, people are like, Oh, my, my spouse never could understand what I do. But now after listening to this episode, they now understand and um, they can't stop listening now. Yeah. <laughs> they want to hear all the stuff. So yeah, it is really fun to uh, see it expand out, which I've always been kind of on the fence of like, who should I really make the show for? And I, and I never really landed on either side. I want it to be accessible for everyone, but I also want it to be not boring for the InfoSec community and just as fun and, and exciting to listen to. What's one aspect that Darknet Diaries has provided you that you didn't expect? Was it the, the pure success that you didn't see coming? Was it the knowledge that you gained from conducting interviews or was it, you know, relationship building as well? What, what's something that, you know, as you plan this out, sort of just, um, took you off on a side road? Yeah, I think, um, the gratitude I've gotten from fans is something I did not expect or know how it was going to affect me. Um, you know, I, I had in my head, like, this could make me some money and I could quit my job and do this. And you're, you're thinking like that, right? Like, how can this, how can this make me money so I can just do this all the time? This is fun. But when you see people send you letters of how 
the show has totally changed their life or saved their butt or it got their, got them a job. Like, you know, mentioning that they listened to the show in a job interview, or this is what they base their, um, you know, report off of in high school or something like that. It's like remarkable to me. And it makes me feel a, a way that I've never felt in my life to kind of put your artwork out there in the world as I feel like it is a piece of art. I've got like all kinds of songs in there and there's storytelling, crafting and all this kind of stuff. So to put a, like your own thing out in the world and then for someone to just pick that up and love that and take that to make their own meaning of life. Um, and I don't know that that's just a, like a, a feeling that I've never had before. I've just, it's so profound and, uh, and it gets, gives you, gives me a high that it's just, wonderful that it's clean and pure too right so it's yeah that's just something that every time i'm stepped back and like can't believe people like it this much and uh i I don't really know what to do with that but it's just such a, a wonderful feeling to be able to help people in the world or give them that kind of entertainment or whatever it is um in that way yeah that's i did not expect that to kind of carry me through some of the downs as well right because when you're like ah i'm just worn out i don't want to do it and stuff like that and then you see this email of somebody who's like oh my gosh this is such a helpful show um please don't ever stop and you're like okay i guess i'll pick up the mic and go again (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing man and and you're um you're changing and, and altering lives and perspectives by the masses at, at this point. So mm-hmm. now if you could go back to a point in time where you started Darknet Diaries and was that 2017, I believe? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Around that time frame. So if you could go back to that point and talk to yourself or provide yourself with one piece of advice to maybe, you know, cut corners that you couldn't cut it at the time, what would that be? Oh, we're getting philosophical here. I love it. <laughs> so the problem with this question is like, I feel like I had to go through all the problems in order to get to where I am. Wow. Right. And if I didn't go through those problems, I wouldn't be who I am. And so I feel like I wouldn't want to give myself any advice because I needed to get through it. Um, it's hard. Like I, I surely I hit many mistakes, but they're just kind of mistakes that I'm like, okay, I'll just fix that for next time and keep going. Right. So, um, there it's it's really hard to to go to go back and give myself advice yeah. i i have a tough time with that one no and i like your perspective on knowing that you're going to make mistakes you had to make those mistakes or you um had to go through that failure point to make yourself stronger yeah so one of the one of the other things i did was just really just jump into the podcast world and i was going to podcaster meetups and I was calling up other podcasters and in podcast mastermind groups and just talking to podcasters as much as I can. And this gave me like new connections and like mentorship in ways that I never, ever expected to get mentorship from. And um, yeah, I mean, like I was getting fed like tons of advice from really (laughs) important people out there and helpful people. And so it was just kind of like, I'm sure there was lots of advice that came to me that I was just like, I don't know what to do with this. I don't understand what you're saying kind of thing. And, or just, I don't care. Um, and it, it's just kind of out of context advice that you don't know what to do with, but it's the advice that I had that under, I understood at the right time and helped me at that time. That was really the most profound. And 
So if I come back and I say, oh, hey, you got to read this book (laughs) or something, right? You should read this book earlier than later. You found it too late. Um, Maybe that book wouldn't have fit in, you know, my worldview at the time where I'm just like, "Ah, I'm not ready for this or this isn't, you know, as helpful as I thought or something because it wasn't ready like mentally. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, you read a book at some point in your life and you're just like, okay, that was nothing. But then you read it again later and you're just like, whoa, this is so profound. What, what's different about it? It's like you've got some new experiences, you've got some new perspectives. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a philosophical question that confuses me sometimes. <laughs> yeah, you never know, right? Um, as a top-ranked podcaster, what underrated tool would you say is indispensable for you? And when I say tool, you know, that could mean tech, that could be data, that could be your mindset. You know, what do you feel is a weapon within your artillery that you use that you could never part with? Mm. That's a good question. I mean, I have, like, if my laptop were to break or go stolen or missing or something, it would really put me back, like, a few weeks um, to get ready um, and get going again, probably. So I, would, I think my laptop probably is my most important tool. Okay. Um, and on that laptop, I'm sure there's, you know, the tech, the data and the mindset, right? Yeah. You know, and, and so maybe it's not even that important because I think I could, everything's backed up and I think I could restore pretty quickly. But I think the mindset really, like you said, if that's, if that's an, if that's an option for one of the tools, I do have this um, kind of growth mindset that it's, yeah, I, I don't know how to do it now, but that's not going to stop me. I'm going to just like figure it out kind of mindset. And a lot of people, you know, they have this mindset where it's not my job. It's not my, I can't, I don't never been trained on this. I don't know how to do that. And they just kind of give up. Um, and so I don't really have that mindset. Mine's more resilience of, okay, I've hit a wall. Um, I have, you know, the ground is paved over. I can't grow any trees here. Um, but look at that. There's a crack in the sidewalk and a weed is growing. And I want that kind of <laughs> attitude of like, I don't need to be, um, you know, watered or fertilized. I can grow out of a crack in a sidewalk. And I, and that, it, to me, that is that one opportunity that you're going to give me. I'm going to take it and I'm going to, I'm going to go crazy from there. Right. So uh, every time I see a weed, a weed growing out of a crack in a road or on a sidewalk, I'm just like, you are my spirit animal right there <laughs> because I want to be that, that um, tenacious in life to just grow wherever and just flourish in the most unlikely place. And, you know, sure enough, if you give me a nice place to grow, I'm going to, you know, do even better, but this is, this is what you got. All right, then let's go. Man, I'm going to look at um, weeds in the sidewalk from a completely different perspective now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I can't believe they're doing that. You know, you're you're trying to grow like a you know vegetable in your backyard, and it's like, come on, it's not working. It keeps dying and all this kind of stuff. And then you go on the in the front, and they're like, what? Why, why is there weed growing out of the sidewalk? And I can't even get this growing. Yep. Um. So you've done a lot of interviews. Out of all of the interviews that that you've conducted, out of all the people that you've met, do you feel like there's been a takeaway for you that? supersedes other takeaways like has there been a specific story or a specific action or maybe even a line that someone has said to you that has 
just heavily impacted you, you know, beyond your expectation? I think one of the, um, one of the episodes that really made me, I don't know if it broke my brain, but it made me just kind of not know what to say <laughs> was when I interviewed the guy from the pirate bay. Oh yeah. And, um, this is, um, this is a guy who just has a totally different way of thinking about everything in the world. And, um, you know, you think you you ask him something like, well, isn't pirating illegal? And then he starts talking about, well, you know, let's talk about what country you're talking about. It's legal. It's illegal in, and uh, like, uh, like he just short circuits all of like, like if you, if you throw a punch, he'll somehow redirect it so that you hit yourself in the face. <laughs> you know, like it's not like a, a fight with him. He's just like, he dis he disarms you in a way that's uh, uh, you, you I don't know it, I just wasn't prepared maybe and so um yeah this guy just really made me think about like you know he he got arrested and was sent to jail but then he's like well I didn't want to go and so I thought it was an optional so I just didn't go mm. to jail <laughs> I'm like wait it's not an option the cops are gonna come and he's like no I don't agree I think it is optional if you need to go or not. And I was like, no. And so, you know, we had this conversation of like, what, <laughs> you know, everything was just so crazy. Yeah. How do you reason with someone like that? Maybe that's just in their mind. That's, that's the way it's going to be. Yeah. And, and this is, this is one of the things that I think is important to the way I tell the story is I don't want to tell anyone's story unless I understand their story. And if I don't understand why they did a certain thing, why, you know, let's say there's someone who attacked their school and took down their school, like, well, that sounds like a jerky thing to do. Right. But I don't want to, I don't want to feel that way at the end. I want to feel like, oh, I completely understand. And I may have done the exact same thing myself because you were bullied all your life or you had, you know, some issue with that teacher or something, whatever the case is. And now you had that crazy opportunity and you were curious and the principal really pissed you off that day, whatever it is, I want to know those reasons right so you know if i'm in a if i'm in a situation where i just don't understand anything of what this person's saying um yeah it really does help me say okay well let's break down let's get down to something that we understand in common or something and we'll keep going from there and so i might have to just keep going backwards until we find uh, a space that makes sense to me and then we can step from there and say okay that makes sense that makes sense and you know by the end of that episode i was convinced like all this other stuff like uh, and and that's what's fun is for the listener to get this new perspective of something that they had never thought of before or considered or challenged mentally and you know and, and I love that I love giving listeners just a whole new framework of thinking through things and I think that one really nailed it of here's a whole nother framework of how to think about piracy yeah it's such an unexpected perspective mm -hmm. um as a podcast slash content creator, we strive to deliver product at an intensely fast frequency. I know you're every two weeks. I'm every two weeks. I would love to do it more frequent. Um, from your experience, what would you say is your favorite or most used productivity hack for entrepreneurial podcasters and other creators? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think at first you gotta, you gotta look at the, the frequency of how you want your stuff. And I think there's kind of two schools, two schools of thought here. Um, someone like Gary Vaynerchuk is saying something like, Hey, just get out it, like an episode a day or a video a day and just go crazy. And if you're doing that, do two a day, get, get even, 
more stuff out there. The more stuff you have out there, the more people can listen and find you and find stuff they love. And it's better that way. Trust me, just go, go, go. And then there's the other school of thought, which is maybe more like the Dan Carlin idea. Um, he makes hardcore history. He creates one episode every three months, right? <laughs> so, or, or one story every three months. It might be like a five-part episode, but um, he's just like, it's done when it's done. Don't rush me. I will have it done when I'm ready. And that's that. And I love that because his concept is, I want everyone to be fully caught. I want my listeners my fans to be fully caught up on my show and hanging on for the next one and wanting that next one. While there's no one on the planet who has listened to all 4,000 episodes of Gary Vaynerchuk's episodes, right? I mean, it's very repetitive and it's um, some of them's not so good as the other. So you kind of jump around and you, you just can't listen to it all. Yeah. And so which, what you know, you got to start out as a creator. Like, do I want them to listen to everything or just flood them with stuff so that there's always something fresh and there, there's just ton of con- content so that they can get through it. I mean, that's, that's kind of square one, right? And so now productivity hacks to get it, get it done. I, I, maybe I'm just, um, one of these, uh, like mutants <laughs> that <laughs> is just really high powered and getting tons of stuff done throughout the day. But, um, yeah, I'm, I, I am one of these people who is like tenacious at just getting work done and I'll, I'll take on the hardest stuff first get it out of the way. And then all the, all the little things after that can just kind of be rapid fired completed. But um, yeah, I think, um, you know, single, single tasking helps a lot. Don't try to multitask, turn off everything else. My phone has been on uh, silent for years now, ever since I started the podcast, it's been muted, completely silent. And, um, you know, I'll turn off emails and everything else and just focus on whatever else I have to focus on. And, um, yeah, there's this concept of like, you know, kind of being in deep thought and getting in flow state. And those are my favorite parts of having like no, no distractions, nothing's messing me up. And I could just focus on this thing I'm working on, whether it's writing a story or troubleshooting something or whatever. And there's just no other like distraction or even like worry that I'm neglecting something else going on out there that I should be working on. You're just in this and, and you're, you're feeling it and you're in it. And yeah, I, I think that's the way to, to get through like the important things in your life is to find that flow state and remove all other distractions. Yeah. Don't underestimate the power of single tasking. Um, outside of Darknet Diaries, do you still have time to listen to podcasts? And if you do, can you recommend three I should be listening to? And let's say industry agnostic, right? It doesn't need to be security, but what, what interests you and what do you think you know, or some other podcasts that are just as high octane as yours? Well, um, I, I kind of like, I'm in this phase right now where I'm into sort of philosophical ones, make me think, um, but also a little bit weird, maybe a little bit funny. So um, there's a podcast that I've been listening to right now called Feudal Attempts at Surviving Tomorrow. Mm. And um yeah, it's a bit poetic, a bit philosophical, and a bit weird. Um, and then I also like um, Philosophize This, which is um, about philosophy. And uh, I like the um, 
the Paris Review podcast, which is not about Paris, but um, has some really interesting archival interviews from crazy people like uh, Hunter S. Thompson or um, like old, really old uh, poets or something like that. And it's just, it's put together in a very mind bending way. Mm. Um, that's just really interesting. So yeah, I, I like these ones that kind of push the medium a bit too. Nice. I have to check those out. Um, as an artist myself, I do need to ask you this as well. You know, the, the episode artwork is killer. Thank you. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about that design process and, and what goes into it? Mm -hmm. Yep. So I, I come up with all the ideas. Um, and a lot of times I've got like a Pinterest board of really cool concepts or artists that I love that just kind of speak to me in some way. Like it might be some interesting lines, just basic lines, but I can see maybe those are wires, right? Maybe those are ethernet cables or, you know, something. So I'm kind of always trying to see everyday objects as computer parts and how can that be like a window could be a monitor or a screen or a tablet, right? And so how can we take that monitor, turn it into, or, you know, window and turn it into a tablet and put it on a house? Like, you know, I'm always thinking in like these mashing up ideas. And then when I get something, I'll sketch it out and that won't work and I'll sketch it out again or I'll try to mash it up with like pictures that I see online that are similar, right? So I could take a house and then I could put a tablet on the window and be like, look, there's a tablet on the window. You see how this works? And then I could give that to my artist and explain to them exactly what I'm going for here. Nice. And then they um, put it together and I say, no, 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 that's the wrong perspective or something. Let's do it again. But here are the, here are the notes to make it different. And so I work with another artist to um, bring my idea to life and, um, yeah, after a while they they do, and we've got something. And yeah, there are a new a new piece of art for every episode, and then a lot of that stuff is turned into shirts as well. So it it produces a, another revenue stream. Nice man. Um, so Jack, normally I localize this next question, but um, but out of respect for the anonymity aspect, I'll ask you. Location aside, what's the best bar you've ever been to? <laughs> oh, I can tell you about Vegas. So Vegas, um, you know, we go to for DEF CON and stuff. And um, there's this place uh, called the Chandelier um, Bar yes. or Chandelier. Yeah, it's a Chandelier uh, Bar in. Um, is it Aria uh, or where Cosmo? Is it? Cosmo. It is Cosmo. Yeah. Cosmopolitan. And the thing is, is that they have a, one drink there that I've never been able to find anywhere else in the world. And that's why I consider it to be the best bar. And I don't even know the drink. Maybe it's called a ver, Verdant or something like that. But um, it's got something in it called a Szechuan button. Have you heard of this? I have. It's the flower, correct? Yeah. So it's, a, it's just a flower, right? And it's not like a psychedelic, psychedelic flower or a psychotropic or anything. It's just, um, it's like a, a flower. And uh, it has this weird experience where... You, uh, I think you take a drink of, of some of the drink and then you uh, chew up the flower, you eat it and then um, gnash it around in your mouth, get it just kind of spread out everywhere. And then when you take a drink again, the flavor is just completely different and the flower itself tastes like you're eating 
electricity. It's really a weird experience. <laughs> <laughs> and so after having that, you take the drink and it's just like a, a wild drink that you just like, it's not something you can just continue to having a conversation. You're just like, hold on a second. Something really is crazy <laughs> happening in my mouth and I need to like figure out what, in the, should I run to the bathroom? Like what is happening here? It's an experience. And, um, yeah. It's really an experience and I've never been able to find a Szechuan button anywhere else in the world or any other bar. And so yeah, the chandelier room or bar at the Cosmo is my favorite. Nice. Somebody's told me about that drink and explained it to me just like you did. Maybe not as in, in depth as that, but um, when I was out in DEF CON this last year, I fully intended on going there and I didn't make it happen, unfortunately. Mm. But it is on my list. All right. It is on my list. Um, so I just heard last call here. Do you have time for one more? Mm-hmm. If you opened a cybersecurity themed bar, what would the name be and what would your signature drink be called? Well, uh, you know, I've got the Recider last name. So I think cider is going to have to be something in there. Um, <laughs> yes, it has to be. <laughs> Jack's Recider. Um, I don't know, something like that. I think, yeah. So one of the things when I went to Vegas last time, I was asking for cider at a lot of places and they didn't have it. They did not have alcoholic cider in like every bar I went to. So um, I really like ciders. So I think ciders would be. Um, somewhere on there. I went to um, I went to a trip to some apple orchard this summer, and they had like fifteen different ciders or more. And I was just like, just give me all of them. And so they gave me a flight of ciders, <laughs> and it was such a great experience. So I, I would like to redo that. Yeah, there's no bars that really focus solely on ciders. So I, I that could definitely be um that could definitely be something new. That one I went to, it was in Canada somewhere and um, it was in an apple orchard. So you were outside on a hill looking down over the valley and you just had this like flight of ciders and it was, it was just beautiful. So I think, you know, a really good view of nature with some apple cider would be it. Nice. Thanks again so much, man, for taking the time to speak with me. Um, outside of Darknet Diaries, where can our listeners connect with you online? I know you mentioned Twitter, but what are, you know, some of the other social media handles that you use? Yeah. I mean, Twitter is where I'm most active. So Jack Resider on Twitter. Um, but yeah, if you go to um, darknetdiaries.com, you'll see links to all of the places I'm, I'm at. So that'll be the easiest way to find. Perfect. Jack, I wish you much continued success. Take care and be safe. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. As you know, Barcode is where security and IT professionals hang out after a long day. So get your message front and center to our fans by sponsoring an episode. Learn more at the barcodepodcast.com slash sponsor. Cheers. Unfortunately, it's time to shut the bar down for this episode. Thanks for stopping in. See you next time. We'll save you a seat. Be sure to check us out at thebarcodepodcast.com.